Good morning. Here we are. Uh, I know a lot of churches would say, Pastor's not going to be here today, so uh, see y'all next week. Uh-uh, devil. Not here. We're going to do it. We're going to enjoy it, and the Spirit's going to be with us, and we're going to wing it, but it's going to be great. Be a time of sharing for anybody who wants to do so with their testimonies and uh or any words of encouragement. And uh Pastor Randy had a good urn ready to go. But I guess he's just gonna have to let it fester. So next week you better be here. Because I know how he is. Uh say a quick prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this time we can come together. The time when the roads and weather may be rough out there, but you're, it's not going to keep your people away. We're here, Lord, to praise you, and please help us to be worthy to do that, Lord. We lift up Pastor Randy, that he heals quickly, and that he will again be able to come give us his words of encouragement and your love letter to us, and express it to us and in all spirit and truth. So we pray for him right now, Lord. Thank you for him, even in his absence. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to dwell on that one right there for a second before I read a couple others from, uh, one's from Isaiah, I think one, the other's from Jeremiah. But now, O Lord, you are the, our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. Let that soak in a while. Here's another one that, uh, supports that. It's found in Isaiah 45. Let me read those 9 through 12. Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthen vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, he has no hands. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and his Maker, Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the work of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their hosts. And then another. Jeremiah 18, 1-7 The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as the potter does? Declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. This one's called Beautifully Broken. Break me, Lord. Grind me even to a dusty powder, if you must. Then add the moisture of your precious love 
and put me on the wheel again. Round and round I go, your hands never leaving me. Uh-oh, starting to wobble, getting too dry again, wanting to form my own shape. More precious blood, more precious blood, mix in that wonderful life-giving fluid. Let it flow, let it flow. Nowhere near perfect yet, so please keep your hands on me, Father, until that last day. I don't know how many of you got to hear uh, Maria's testimony. She was uh, baptized as a smaller child at one point in time, but she came to think that she needed another baptism because things meant way, way more to her. We just heard it for the first time yesterday, and I guess their pastor probably asked for their testimonies. Uh, what testimonies I have heard before, including my own, were kind of short and sweet, and people don't really want to give that so much. They're quiet and shy, and but she used it as a platform for future salvations, let me tell you. So anyway, it's, it is a video, but I think we're just, we just have the audio, audio, and do we have that queued up? Well, we can play that, Jim. Okay. So uh, we're going to play that. It's 11 minutes long, right? And uh, we're just going to sit and listen. And uh, to, to Kay and I, it was a big blessing. So uh, let's just listen to that. Yes, my name is Maria LeBron. Um, I grew up in a Christian household and heard a lot about God, learned lots of Bible stories, and even made a profession of faith as a young child and was baptized. But I didn't really know God or what it meant to be saved. Um, when I was still quite young, I remember hearing some Paul Washer sermons um, talking about salvation, and I knew I was doomed. I'm not sure I had a clear inkling of what the gospel was, but I suddenly knew what hell was and that I was destined to go there for an eternity. I knew the little prayer that I'd said years ago meant nothing. I knew I was not saved, not a Christian, and if I was neither of those things, I was going to suffer in hell for eternity. I vividly remember being terrified to go to sleep, because if I died in the middle of the night, I would wake up in the worst of places. So I prayed, God, don't let me die a sinner. Maybe I cried out for salvation, having no idea what that meant. I simply knew the words, save me, and I knew what I wanted to be saved from. Not my sin, but condemnation. This was an almost nightly routine for what felt like years, living in fear of death and praying to be saved from punishment. Eventually, the fear moved to the back burner. It felt irrelevant after so many mornings, waking only to find myself alive and whole. I lived my life for me, seeking after worldly pleasures, innocent though they may have seemed. I heard of God's sovereignty and predestination and thought, well, I don't have anything to do with being saved anyway. It was a hopeless thought. I was waiting and hoping to be one of God's elect, assuming that if I was, some emotional moment would eventually happen and I would then be saved. But since it was God's work and not mine, I essentially shrugged my shoulders and went about my life. During this time, God still put people in my life that made me uncomfortable about my soul. One friend, after hearing I wasn't saved, asked me why not. I didn't really have an answer, replying that I didn't know how or that I wasn't ready, and when I was really thinking it was just impossible. When she told me to just fall on Christ, and even though those words stuck with me, I didn't really get it, and I didn't know how to do that. 
I wanted to be a Christian, and I knew God was real, that Christianity was real. I'd heard enough stories and seen enough Christians in my life to know that there was something to all of it. Yet I didn't actually seek it out, and I didn't have enough of a desire to ask questions, much less truly fall on my knees before God. I was in my late teens when one of my best friends was saved. The change in his life was very noticeable, and he was the same but not. And he also would not stop it talking to me about being saved. It was very annoying um, that eventually I started to listen to what he had to say. I was still acutely aware of where I was going if I died, and for the first time I felt a sliver of hope. I went to Sunday night prayer meetings with my friend at his church and wanted to be like the other believers that I saw and like my friend. So one Sunday I stayed late talking with him. He told me to believe and I would be saved. And I said, it can't be that easy. My friend insisted it was, and so I prayed, telling God that I believed. I even quoted that song that I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And I meant it for about a week. By then it was obvious that I was not a changed person, that I had been trying from my own just to read my Bible and do all the things that I thought Christians were supposed to do. And I was still sinning and I was failing daily. I felt like I had believed and nothing was different and I was so very angry. No matter what I did, I was still not a Christian. So I effectively hardened my heart. I didn't want to hear any more about salvation. I had tried it and it didn't work for me. I went about my life as if I had never said, no turning back. Years later, when I graduated from nursing school, I moved to Cape Girardeau. I had not been attending church, but the move somehow prompted a half-hearted attempt to find a church. And then suddenly, as I was at work, a couple that I had just randomly met invited me to their church, and they promised good teaching and fellowship. They were right. The teaching was good. For the first time in a long time, I wanted to hear more. I wanted to know more. Suddenly, no matter where I was, visiting my parents' church or going to the chapel, I was hearing about God in a way I never had before. For the first time, I was drawn to know God, who he is, and what he has done. After one sermon at the chapel, I broke down in tears because I did not know this Jesus that I kept hearing about. But I wanted to. A couple, noticing my distress, came and prayed with me. They took me to dinner, and so began a long friendship that I would go to their house, and we'd talk for hours, because I had so many questions. What was the gospel? What did justification mean? What was faith? What was grace? Things I'd heard about all my life, but never truly understood. And suddenly, it was like my eyes were being opened. I wanted to understand, and I started to understand. I went to a study in Ecclesiastes that opened my eyes to the worthlessness of this life without God. What's more, I finally knew what I needed to be saved from. Not death, which I had feared for so long, but my sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. Thankfully, the verse does go on, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I read and reread Romans in the book of John, What did Jesus actually mean when he said to believe in him? What did it mean to have faith? What did that really look like? I recalled my friend telling me to fall on Christ, but I still didn't get it. I understood for the first time that a sacrifice was required. A price must be paid for sin, 
that Jesus paid that price, as it says in 1 Peter 2.24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. But I struggled with what it meant to have faith, with what it meant to believe. I kept needlessly complicating the gospel, as if there was something more that needed to be done, as if Christ had died for the world, but not for me. Amazing how I could accept some truths in the Bible so readily. I accepted that God is. I accepted that he created me. But when it came to he died to save me. So I was reading in Hebrews 9, 13, and 14. And it all but slapped me in the face one day. Not once as I heard stories of the Old Testament growing up did I question that those animal sacrifices were satisfying to God. Scripture said they were. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Of course, Christ's blood shed for the entire world was more than enough to cover my sin as well. That should have been it, really, for God so loved the world, and whoever believes in him should have been it. I did make a profession of faith at the time. I did trust in Jesus' saving work on the cross, but that's not really the end of it. I didn't decide to follow Jesus with no turning back. This time of revelation and learning happened in 2016 and was only the start of a long cycle over the next few years. Maybe that's when I was saved. I repented, actively desiring to turn away from sin, from how I lived, and I believed in Christ as my Savior and saw a beauty in Christ and his ways that I never had before. But over the next few years, I spent a lot of time doubting my faith, focusing on whether I really believed and getting lost in that doubt, so lost that I would seek out comforts from the world instead of the comfort and peace of Christ, until I would find myself in such a low place I could no longer ignore what I already knew. As Ecclesiastes says, this too is vanity and striving after wind. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? That is God. Thankfully, God kept directing me back to him. A sermon or a book would speak directly to what I was struggling with at the time. I remember praying for someone to talk to when I desperately needed the encouragement, and he immediately sent someone. I was reminded to look and to live. For as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Look and live. And who am I looking to but Christ? Who is it I'm relying on? A loving Savior who is faithful to keep all he has ever promised. One who says, the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Romans 10.11 says, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And in Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. No, I can't point to a specific time and say, God saved me then. But like someone who has crossed over a bridge, I was there, and now I'm here. I once was lost, and now I'm saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Confesses what? That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Spurgeon said it well, 
True faith, the faith that saves, concerns itself wholly with the glorious person and the gracious work of him whom God raised from the dead. Faith's resolve is to look only to Jesus, her God, for he alone is everything to her. So I am. I am looking to Christ and believing. Faith is a gift, and not of myself, but a gift from God. I'm trusting his word. I'm falling on Christ and trusting that he will hold me fast. Today I'm being baptized because the Lord commanded it as a confession of my faith in Jesus Christ and as my Lord and Savior, but also not as a means of salvation, but a picture of union with Christ. As it says in Romans 6-4, buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we, so I, too, might walk in newness of life.